good morning, listeners, or afternoon or evening. Uh, my name is Jason Bateman, and uh, my partner here is... I'm Chris Mundy. Welcome to Post Play Ozark, the podcast where executive producer Chris Mundy and I dig into all the things you wish you knew about the making of Ozark Season 3. Be warned, though, there will be spoilers. In this first episode, we're going to talk about the first three episodes first three, yeah. Yeah, of the third year. So this first one, Wartime, episode 301. Here's the first question. The first thing we hear is a ticking sound. It's just a ceiling fan, but it foreshadows the bombs that are about to go off. That is correct. Was that detail in the script? Talk about shooting the opening sequence of the cartel war escalating in Mexico. This is a good one, because I, I wrote this and Jason directed it, so we ought to know the answers to these questions. Uh, the ticking was not, that's all kind of sound design that Jason did on the day. And strangely, this opening of episode one is one of the last things we shot in the entire right. season. We originally were gonna have a different opening sequence that was also the cartel war, and then we changed it to, to this, and luckily we found a, literally a Mexican mall that's about 10 yeah. minutes from our sound stages. Yeah, it's a Mexican uh, mall in the middle of Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty interesting. They sell we, all this. Yeah. We didn't have to do one bit of production design at all. Like our production designer walked in and was just like, oh, God, look look at that. Like you can, sh- And you could just shoot down the entire entire thing. It was, it was amazing. Chris wrote this great opening to to the season, to the episode. Uh, and it was I was really excited to shoot it, but it turned out to be just prohibitively expensive. Um, and we were going to have to shoot it in California. It was like... Yeah sort of set these three houses in a cul-de-sac that were sort of um, stash houses for money that the cartel owned. And so we were trying to find a way for to think it was kind of this idyllic. You didn't even know where you were. Then it turned out you were in Mexico. Then you thought you were in someone's home. Then it turned out they were cleaning all this money and people came and sort of talked and it ended with these three houses on fire. And we had this pretty fantastic plan. It was just outrageously expensive for what was what a page and a half yeah that and so it. so for it really got kicked down the line we knew we were going to do it but eventually it was just one of those things where we just decided we tailored something that we knew we knew we could shoot that got the same emotion and the same idea and i, I noticed that the next kind of prompt on here is about the sort of cheesy missouri bell commercial because i always imagined It was the flip side of what they do, the real violence of what's going on, and then the shiny fake reality to other people. We wanted that to be the opening of the season with the chapter card in between. And, I mean, you got to direct it. So I think it was was the... That had yeah, to be had fun, to fight it's all so the all the all the instincts you you try to uh, to get better with, right? Like um, flat lighting and flat <laughs> composition, and you and, know, and I mean, overacting, uh, right? Like, yeah, for the, like, <laughs> exactly. Well, you helped with the with the star wipes thing, and the dialogue was sort of a, a big tonal thing that we kind of tried to drag through it. Uh, and uh, I think we switched the aspect ratio too. I think we're four three instead of. Two two to one, and so yeah, it, it was a, a nice sort of yin and yang to the sort of uh, violence and uh, Mexico ness of the opening, and then to the Missouri ness and the um, the the cheese of that commercial. That was one of the only things Cindy, our, that, who edited it, because uh, I, I won't, I don't see anything until after the director's cut. But she, but that was she was like, just could you, can I just show you the commercial? <laughs> and it, it was just like, I'm like, oh, it's so bad, it's great. Hi, I'm Marty Bird, and I'm Wendy Bird. If you're gambling on your next vacation, make the smart bet. Come see us here at the Missouri Bell. We like, like your odds. Yeah! Yeah!
There was almost a version where we thought, well, it kind of it, it's kind of such a neat, weird, cold open to the episode to the season. We thought, right. I wonder if should we just do this and then go to the to the chapter card? But thank God you you were you were very sort of um, excited about uh, that starting with the the Mexico and then uh, and then going into that. The two things that I always thought in the episodes were that we needed that, and then there's a scene with you and, and Laura on the lawn where you kind of lay out, literally we kind of lay out the season. It's like she wants to expand. Marty wants to just be like, no, let's keep our head down. And yeah. everyone, and like, like their stakes are planted. So it was that and the and the flip side of the commercial were sort of the two keys to being like, understanding what we were often hoping to pull off. Right. Um, all right, Darlene and Wyatt have a sort of bizarro version of a meet cute at the farmer's market. Talk about how that scene developed in the writing process. I don't want to be in debt to anybody, okay? Fair enough. I respect that. If you can wait a bit, I'll take you on back to jail. Or, if you're not afraid of a little hard work, I run a farm. Maybe you and I could come to some kind of arrangement. All right, so this is, uh, you want to talk about how you guys got the sick and twisted idea to hook up Darlene and Wyatt? That's my favorite thing in the season. One of our writers, Laura, it was actually her, she said it and it was kind of like, you know, one of those things they were like, oh, that's really, that's crazy, but we're never going to do it. And then it just kind of keeps <laughs> sticking around. Was uh, it? Was there just like a long silence in the writer's room or was it so you guys just kind of dismissed it immediately and then it just kept coming up? I think everybody later. dismissed it immediately and I was kind of like, Hey, remember That's, that thing you said yeah, last Tuesday? and everyone just looked at me like I was losing my mind. When I first called Charlie Tehan, who plays Wyatt, to tell him, like, just want to let you know what your storyline for the season's going to be, he laughed for, like, a solid, like, three minutes straight, just like, <laughs> like which is a really long time on the phone. Yeah. Um, it, was, it, was, it was awesome. You know, there's a great scene there where uh, we meet Navarro for the first time. Uh, Wendy does. Um, that actor, Felix Solis, is just, he's incredible. And he just has this great taste uh, regarding power and threat and domination or whatever that sort of the bad guy stuff is. Um, I, we spoke briefly about how... You know, we don't want some guy petting a white cat. Um, so, you know, what is your version of the the, the big drug dealer um, without being stereotypical? And fortunately, he just has such a great presence, and he and he he knows that without being arrogant. He just understands sort of what his quality is, and trusted that we were going to capture that and preserve that and frame that and then he just kind of let it go and he had two great actors there across from him and that was a great setting that yeah you get you get the power from the setting and you know we had the real jet and you shot it on the real jet so that yeah and you have him eating uh, eating uh, three three separate uh, you yeah know. but like it's written super terse yeah and so he's got to trust that he just conveys it and he totally did it was like it was it was really it's like location plays a ton yeah. you know into how it goes but also then yeah like i mean him and janet and laura so yeah and then editorially just having sort of the patience and the discipline to let those long takes happen stay with him after he's even done talking and maybe just listening um so i had fun with cindy sort of building out his uh his strength there we're all aware how much stress this war is putting on the business um obviously it's difficult to find other avenues for revenue even in the best of times. But uh, Wendy and Marty are in a unique position to help with that. Why? 
because they have been recognized as a legitimate entity by the gaming industry in Missouri, which means they can create revenue streams free of any legal entanglements, which might give you a safety net. Why? Because they are pristine. Because they're white. Semantics. At, so at the end of the episode, uh, as we approach the end of the episode, we have that poker tournament with Ruth. Um, you know, that's that's our big new set that we built, uh, you know, the casino on the stage, a two-story set. And we were thinking, how are we going to get kind of our money's worth of building a, two, a double-decker right. set, a two-level a two set? Usually you'd have like a sort of a dollhouse version of it where you could sort of just boom up and you'd see sort of the whole house cut in half so you could appreciate that it's two stories. But in this case, we obviously we didn't want to do that and so uh, Ben Semenoff, the camera operator, when we were first looking at the starting of the set construction, he had the idea to put this large cutout in the wall at the top of the stairs there, that big grand staircase. So right at the sort of the mid-level there, there's a big painting on the wall and so behind that painting is this huge cutout in the whole uh, in the wall where we could stick a camera crane through there and do a sort of a continuous shot and bringing somebody up the stairs and then into the second floor. So we used that there in that, uh, in that, that, that poker tournament thing uh, where Marty comes up the stairs and he brings the audience, the camera, up to that second level and we see that, that Ruth is in the middle of that. And uh, I love that too. It's like, and also, also the way you shot it, it's like, Julia like glows in the middle of that. Yeah. And I, I just had this feeling, it's like the first time we ever saw her was season one in episode two? She's a maid at a crappy motel room, and all of a sudden we're in this gigantic, amazing casino, yeah. and she's like in a dress and running things. And I was like, "Damn, we've come like we've come a pretty far That's away." Right. At Remember this point. her pushing that towel cart there yeah. outside? God, that day was so hot when we shot that. First of all, I want to say how much we appreciate y'all playing in the first ever Missouri Bell Classic. And then in the end, we end yeah. up in Chicago. Uh, at the end of the episode, we end up in Chicago in the in the old house, which was something we'd kind of always wanted to do. And and the idea to to use the Radiohead song in there was was Jason's. And uh, and what I love about it is there's parallels to season one and three for me to me in the same way I think seasons two and four are going to have some certain parallels. And we used a Radiohead song at the, uh, the at end the of end one, of yeah. at the end of the pilot. And so like. That w- that felt really good, just as a, a, a yeah. as a callback for anyone who's geeky enough to remember. Yeah, 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 and and then um, dropping that sort of thematic character emotional moment there for Wendy, really kind of setting up what the season is all about. In my opinion, it's really is Wendy's season, where the sort of you see this. Not only the emancipation of her from what was, but kind of the owning and the declaration of what what could be and will be going yeah, forward in that season, right. and then and then ultimately into four, uh, we'll see. But with what she does with the family there, the the message that she gives to the family in that house, do you, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of what you wanted yeah, to, kind of to message? Yeah, to me it there? was like it wasn't supposed to be nostalgic. It was supposed to be like I have moved on, and it's an it's, it was kind of like a not an act of aggression toward the family, but an act of aggression toward her own life, which is like. Like, I'm not going to be complacent and 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 letting these people know in a weird way, like nothing's ever safe. Mm. And for her, like she sort of had to destroy her past and act like she was breaking into her own life because it's a callback to 
a story she tells in, in episode 108, which is the flashback episode we did season one, where she used to break into houses when she was was young and kind of live the way that kind of rich people did because she was poor in, in Boone, North Carolina. And so she was kind of walking through her old past life and, and it was like, you know what? I felt like I wanted this life, but I do not want this life. And she's and, leaving behind a sort of a message for that family, like be careful what, what may look uh, may, set and yeah, predictable it, is not. Is not. And, and so... Hopefully that plays really well for anybody who's watching the episode. And if you do remember the callback it's from, hopefully that's in, hopefully it works on both levels. You don't have to remember the callback to to Because she does doesn't she say it. something about dropping food color in the milk or something in, 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 that in, episode? in, yeah. in 108 in the in the flashback, she talks about putting milk, food coloring in the milk and we have her do it in, right. in, in this. Yeah. Um, that was fun to shoot. And then that that, that radiohead song really. It kicks it in exactly perfect. When, the, when she rips the stuff off. Yeah. I remember the first time right. I saw it in the editing room, I was like, oh it's it's, it's Great. perfect. Yeah, good, good. I'm so happy Radiohead said yes again. That was a huge day. So episode two, we meet uh, Ben right at the top of the episode, uh, Wendy's brother. And Chris, talk a little bit about what you and the writers were thinking about the element that that character might bring for the season and and what you guys were excited about playing with. Yeah, we wanted it to be a tie to Wendy's past and her wanting things to be different in a way and wanting to be allow him to stay because she wants that tie to her past, but also knowing that the second she let him stay, bad things were going to happen. And the push and pull of that, of like... How do you soothe yourself? How do you stay true to yourself? How do you stay true to family? And yet it's dangerous all, all around. And and the thing we were really, really concerned about is trying to it's it's a character who's bipolar. So wanting to do that very carefully, very in a very real way, in a very non-extreme fashion. Right. And we wanted him to be the character first, not the not the illness. Right. Uh, and we really wanted to love him. Because Wendy loves him, and and eventually Ruth loves him, so it was really important. I mean, he has a big kind of splashy intro when he, he beats takes that dude the, up, yeah, yeah, and with the cell phones and all. But you feel kind of it's slightly righteous, and, but also something that maybe a little but, but just overcooked, a little overcooked. So, so, yeah, so guy, it's just like yeah. how do you like? It's just like right on, right on the edge. A little warning. And, hey, I bet you're fucking looking at me now. Hey, you. What do you think you're? And Tom Pelfrey, who played him, is so good He's through the so, whole season. Such it's a good just, actor. Um, but uh, but we, so we we really wanted to get it right because we knew we knew he was sort of the emotional linchpin in so many ways of 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 the whole season. And ideally, you guys were looking to present something to Wendy where she was trying to sort of kind of have her cake and eat it too. She, yes. And she should. She has like two or three different points in the season where she could tell him to go. Yeah. And the smart thing is to tell him to go. And the second she lets him stay, it's not going to end well. We just put a time bomb in the basement, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. There's another character that we meet, uh, Aaron, uh, who's uh, Helen's daughter. And uh, again, that, that's a great new character that you guys decided to introduce. And what, what was the, the central thinking there? I think that central thinking was more to dimensionalize Helen. Mm-hmm. I think the whole show runs through the Marty and Wendy's marriage and then to the just below that, it all runs through the family. And all these people are doing 
bad things, but f- kind of in this idea of like, for their families. And, and like we wanted to see Helen's family. We wanted her to love her daughter. We wanted her to be a good mom in some ways because we think she probably was. And seeing them come together, fall apart, come together, fall apart, just in small little emotional ways we thought we thought was helpful to make it real because mm-hmm. we, you know. In one way, it's a very heightened story. Was that even more exciting knowing where you were going with Helen at the end of the season? Or did you have that set we, yet? We had that set. And, and we knew pretty early on Aaron was going to find out what her mom does. And we knew Ben was going to be the instrument. And everything was... So it was really vicious on your part. It's like, <laughs> we know we're going to kill these two. So let's make the audience really love them as much as possible. Yeah. Can we just try for a clean slate and leave Chicago in Chicago? Let's try and enjoy the summer. I'm actually starting to come around in this place. Really? No. One of the things you wanted to track in this season was sort of this war between Marty and Wendy. Yeah, Um, the first third of the season was really like the two of them against each other. And for the first act, Wendy wins... Then she starts to not fail, but like things go a little sideways in the middle and then things go bad. And Marty's got to Marty's got to sort of like grab her and prop her up. And and this idea that neither is going to be successful as the sole person running this family. It's like if they're or their enterprise, criminal enterprise. So if if it's not an actual partnership, it's going to fail. And so we wanted to be the two versus each other. And Marty, like he's good with words. And he thinks he has it done with words, and then it's not enough, and him having to keep going to these extremes. So when, you know, eventually he has to go and blow up the, blow up the boat. Which uh, Jason had, had the idea. I guess I'm, I'm looking at you and speaking about you <laughs> into the mic. But uh, we shot those on a real down in Savannah, Georgia, on a a real casino boat. Like we went and took the crew down there for a, a few days to really get a different feel and really get a scope, which I think was was huge for these episodes. What the fuck? Nothing's happening. Wait. Just wait. Yeah, that was that was fun. We had these big, beautiful shipping uh, or or container ships that would go up and down that that inlet there because it's right on the ocean. But we were playing that river as a river that is up, uh, but that separates what Missouri like and, Joe, and yeah. Kansas. Um, so uh, obviously you wouldn't have ocean liners with shipping containers on it. But these things are massive. I wanted so badly to shoot them, but it just it wouldn't make sense. You wouldn't have them in in uh, middle of the country like that. So he gets proactive there and then another thing that he does that is that is proactive is actually get that that listening app on his computer to overhear her phone conversations which is you know not very woke of him uh to be spying on his (laughs) wife but uh it's sort of an additional thing that he is doing to not really capitulate and just say all right i'll just sort of let you go wendy and you do what you think is best for the family and i'll just kind of watch and or support he's actually digging in and creating uh, an opposite team it's kind of war i mean we think of it we we think of it as, as as a war between the two of them but each trying to save the family, people can kind of understand it, even though they'd never do it. Mitch Hurwitz, uh, the the writer on um, Arrested Development, once told us all, and uh, I remember it coming up where 
we're like, God, it, you're writing these things that are just so unlikable. Like, uh, do you ever get notes from the network about the, we got to make the characters more likable? He's, he said, no, his job was to write the characters as unlikable as possible. And the cast job is to play them as likable as possible. That's really smart. And so and that's I, really, it, it's really sort smart. of kind of the cocktail we're working here as well. You're writing these very amoral things. And but hopefully you can see on the faces of the characters that they are struggling with justifying these amoral acts. We had a, we had probably a week long talk in the writers room season two about whether or not when Marty gives the baby to Darlene, whether or not will anyone would ever forgive Marty for like any viewer would ever forgive Marty. And I never heard a single thing of anybody saying, I can't believe he gave that baby away. Because right. it was just like, what are we going to do? We're trying to. I'm trying to save the family. We've got to get out. It's for I mean, the kids. I'm trying to. I'm trying kids. to save the kids. Come on. So uh, in episode three, we start with the Ario Speedwagon song. The dream sequence that that is um, over. Uh, is obviously it's it's shocking because we we don't know we're in a dream sequence yet uh, until Marty gets gets shot. What are you doing? But talk about what what the goal was there to sort of set up Wendy's headspace. We wanted to set up he- Wendy's headspace as. Obviously, it's gonna. There's a. There's sort of a speech that Helen gives her at the end in in two ten at the end of the of season two, about if you do what you're about to do, nothing nothing will be the same again. But at the same time, she's sort of in this power struggle with Marty. Like I don't think the dream sequence isn't trying to say that she wants Marty dead. It's really that like I've done this thing. I can never go back. And I'm going to win this moment with with Marty too. And we didn't. It was important not to like wake her up shocked from the dream. Mm-hmm. It's like she's sleeping peacefully. You're right. You know, it's it's just like, oh yeah, this is where this is where I, I am. I love starting with a dog. Her playing with a dog on the lawn is like, wait a second, they don't have a dog. Right, exactly. Where did this come from? And um, it's and it's so it's shot kind of um, really idyllically. It kind yeah, of glows. It's really pretty. Yeah. It's, um, you don't do a full explanation like you did here about what her uh, sort of cathartic exercise is in that dream until later because you split up the dream. Yeah. Uh, structurally, you do the second half of the dream a little bit later on in the in the episode. Yeah, right? and and make it clear that it's that it's re- re- recurring. Right. And tell me when you guys played that because it's in the, in the diner, the second half of the scene. You play it very like innocent almost mm. with her right i mean it was difficult i didn't know how how much is marty aware that he's in a dream there or right. not right so there um, was something like almost like childlike about the way you played it like like come with me it was odd but perfect do you know what i mean because it, it was unreal and yet like as if everything there like there wasn't a care in the world yeah would it be would it be wendy's version of what marty would be thinking and you know so it was yeah, yeah, yeah. it's kind of a jump ball that uh, is kind of uh sometimes fun to you know without without you being on set you know it's it's we we sort of we think well i, I guess it could play this way or that way now if i'm going to commit to playing it this way then i got to pay it off with playing that other scene in you know the next episode like this right and, all you people ever understand is money. Is that a yes? Come with me. No. Please. 
So there's so we meet Maya for the first time, the FBI agent. I think we meet her. We in the, meet her in here. We meet yeah. her in three. This is her. This is her intro. Yeah, she comes oh. in with a with a fish she, in a fishbowl. What what was it? I was oh I thought. Because, you know, I never dig down and get granular with you about what your plans are for each season. I just kind of like, you know, pick your brain about sort of the bigger points. And so I just remember seeing, reading this fish. And I'm going, oh, I'll bet that's, I bet that fish is going to end up being actually a microphone. You know, <laughs> that, uh, but it was like, really what, just like a little bit of weirdness be? and a little bit of a metaphor. It was like, it was in some ways, every time Marty's in that office and she's not there, that fish could represent the FBI. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Marty was kind of the fish. Like he's just this guy trapped in this bowl. Oh, right. And she's watching and watching mm-hmm. him. So it kind of worked on both, you know, right. our, our, our pretentious, our pretentious levels. Oh, I'm glad but, you didn't tell me that because I, <clears throat> I probably would have asked the directors to shoot, shoot close up shots of that thing and sort of like, you know, <laughs> imply that fish is, uh, that, that Marty's, you know, in a barrel. If I'm going to spend a lot of time someplace, might as well make it feel like home. This is Jeff. <clears throat> this is me, Agent Maya Miller. The thing I didn't know is that, like, so anytime you have animals on set, you gotta, you know, you have to have an animal handler and all that. But did you know, did you know we had to have a fish no, person? I never <laughs> saw that person. It, it, supposedly, I, I don't know if it ended up happening, but for the beginning, we had to hire someone in oh, case yeah, there yeah, was a yeah. in case there was a problem with a fish. So. That was an expensive. Uh, that was an expensive fish. Mm, should have been a microphone. <laughs> it should have been a microphone. Um, so you know, Wendy's got this meeting with uh, Carl, the husband of the husband-wife team that owns the gambling boat, and she repeats to him, "If you can't get what you want, uh, don't be afraid to take it by force." I'm paraphrasing a bit there. She's repeating what Navarro kind of told her to do and and so was the thinking there that you want to kind of signal to the audience that Wendy's kind of crossing over into a place of advocating violence and and yeah or at least at least um, she's becoming Navarro in the situation mm-hmm. she's under his thumb so she's going to put Carl under her thumb because she needs something done yeah. you know and I, I think one of the things we've tried to do in, in different seasons is there was a parallel with Darlene and and um Jacob in season two to, to Marty and Wendy. We tried to play a little bit of parallels between Marty and Wendy with Carl and Anita in, in, in this season, just a little bit in terms of like some of the dynamics. But the interesting thing to me was always like in this situation, she's saying to Carl, like the wife who's like running things right now, which is a little bit Wendy at this stage of the season in episode three, she's like, you know, you got to cut that shit out. You got it's like she, it's like she's sort of advocating Marty coming after her in a strange in a strange way um, right but but basically she's saying anything that needs to be done needs to be done and and she's and sort like of, had marty heard that marty would have been scared shitless yeah 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 because he he is he is anita i used to stay at home i did i, I raised the kids i i did the grocery shopping and the driving and and the cleaning and and, and it's a noble thing it, it is but it's it's not what i wanted so, I took back my life, and now I answered only one person, me. I don't know. We always try to try to play those parallels, and and I think, I think there's an element to which like Wendy, like getting the calls from Navarro and all that. She she, there's something that's exciting about about that to her. Mm-hmm. There's something that's like, um, 
It's like a rush. It's a little bit of a like a drug and adrenaline almost. Yeah, okay. and Laura plays that so well. It, that would be so easy to overplay that 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 quenching of that thirst. But she's so disciplined about you know just continue continue the the metaphor taking a little sip and you know not yeah. overplaying that and still being true to who Wendy is and what kind of Wendy she is leaving. You know, right. just a little bit so that you don't jar the audience and the audience can share in how unsettling that would be to have a legitimate uh, changing there. You right. Know? Um, if it was too fast, you just wouldn't believe it. Right. We have the end of this episode, uh, Marty getting abducted, and that is uh, obviously a necessary thing to fuel the next couple of episodes uh, in that he gets taken down to, to Mexico. So was it, was it always an idea to have that abduction happen um, in the in, in that big sort of concert thing as well, as sort of like a scope? Uh, yeah, we, the, the idea was always like to play the concert. Mm-hmm. And, you know, before he gets abducted, Marty says to Maya, you know, like, okay, I'll, I'll take your deal. Right. And almost have this like one moment of like, oh, God, there's like kind of like a weight off. In a strange way, for a split second, it's yeah. like okay, I'm I'm at peace with this, and then have everything go to go to hell. Which and I wasn't there on the day when when you shot it, but like I know it feels like it steps out. I mean the way you the way you did it, and then even like when they take you out, you're kind of calm, and then all of a sudden when they're starting to put you in there. Like you're realizing how bad it's gonna gonna go. It feels like you like track that like exactly. I wouldn't know that they're going to take me to Mexico or even off site. Uh, maybe they just want to go talk to me. And so it's not until I see the SUV do I realize, oh, we're leaving. All right, where the fuck are we going? Where the we where the fuck are we going? I don't need to fucking go in there. I'm who knows where we're gonna go, and and so that that's where the panic really sets in but I, I remember thinking one I remember thinking that there might be a danger of two big things happening close to one another and how do we best separate those two things uh, those two things being that Marty says yes I will work for the government right. and basically be a be a snitch I'll, I'll take the deal let's right. let's go um, and then right on the heels of that, he's kidnapped. And so it's like two endings. A well, bit. yeah, I mean, but, you know, and I think our audience is pretty well conditioned to absorb a lot of a lot of story. You guys are so good about pushing out all that story and plot. But there's this great moment that you guys worked in there and 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 um, uh, sort of there's this the camera movement on him as he's sort of thinking about what he's done, mm -hmm. what what is to come. And then he's abducted. So hopefully that that lands for the audience, and they retain that going into the next episode. Right. That yes, even though he's kidnapped, if and when he gets released and he goes back home, he's he's gonna be working for the FBI. Right. Um, and we don't really touch that again until I feel like it's episode five. I don't until know we, five, yeah, because yeah, because four. four he's all in Mexico the whole time, and then and even. In five, there's just a little like he comes back redirected, and Maya kind of. Maya tells Wendy. Yeah, that, and 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 Maya tries to, and and Marty's just like, shuts that down because right. he's he's now on a new mission with her, but she doesn't know it. It does end up being, I mean, it's something so significant that he says to Maya, "I will, I will join you," 
So she knows it's possible. Right. And she but had then it. he just he just drops it when he gets yeah. back and there's a bigger fish to fry, yeah. which is um combining with, with Wendy a little bit more and, and, and doubling down along with her. Yeah. 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 Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can find us on all podcast platforms. We'll be back next week with another episode. Tune in next week to hear Jason and Chris discuss Marty being held captive by Navarro, an unconventional sex scene, Nelson's big moment, and much more. Just make sure you watch episodes four through seven before you listen so you don't get any spoilers. Here's a preview of what's in store. Like even the the title of the episode is It Came From Michigan which is like the, where in Mexico he was, but it's a play on a horror movie. And we thought there's this tiny little embedded horror movie thing in the episode, which is like, okay, he went down to Mexico, but who exactly came back? Mm-hmm.